welcome to the Best Ever or Guilty Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Jarrett, and I love movies. Today, we have a treat. I will be watching a movie that I am very excited about. I used to say this was my favorite movie ever. I'm kind of unsure why I would have said that, but the movie is still very good, and maybe I'll find out. The movie today is High Fidelity. Released in 2000, this was a movie for music lovers and movie lovers alike, starring John Cusack, with Joan Cusack also tagging along, as usual, Lisa Bonet, and Jack Black, as well as several others, but I'll talk about them later. I remember this movie being about Rob, a record store owner, reeling after a breakup. In his depression, he recounts his top five breakups and revisits them to find out what went wrong. Along the way, he learns a lot about himself, as well as what happened in his most recent breakup. The thing that stands out to me about this movie was the constant breaking of the fourth wall. He often talks directly to the camera and, by extension, us, the people watching. At first, I remember this being a bit uncomfortable, but after a while, I felt it was necessary to tell the story. I also read the book, and I can say this was one of my favorite books. The book was written by Nick Hornby and is fantastic. I highly recommend it. The translation from the book to the movie was done really well, especially considering the setting changing from London to Chicago. I guess music snobs are the same all around the world. There's a lot of comedy in the movie, as as evidenced by a lot of the cast members that are attached. Uh, Jack Black and Todd Luiso provide a lot of the comic relief as the record store employees. I remember a particular interaction Jack Black's character has with a patron, where he berates him for wanting a Stevie Wonder record and telling him to go to the mall for that sentimental pap. He then turns that question about it turns it into a question about whether it's better to burn out or fade away in typical Jack Black fashion. John Cusack's character, Rob, goes through his top five breakups and goes to meet each one to go over what went wrong. His previous girlfriends are admittedly diverse, and all of them were interesting. I remember the big curveball was one of the exes being Catherine Zeta-Jones. Rob isn't exactly the most good-looking or charming individual, so to get involved with something as someone as attractive as her was shocking, to say the least. I guess also being a DJ in the 90s was super appealing. Thinking back on the time the movie was made, I know this would have been would be a time capsule for the late 90s, early 2000s. The main setting is the record store, which already was starting to fade away, illustrated perfectly by the scene mentioned a bit ago with Jack Black. I would have been in 8th grade when this movie came out. Clearly, some of the things in this movie probably weren't the best for me to watch, but my parents didn't really lock me down that much. The soundtrack for this movie is also very fantastic. It would have to be with the main character being a record store owner and a former DJ. What I loved about this, though, was how the official soundtrack only just scratched the surface. There's always music playing in the background of the record store, and those songs are not on the official soundtrack, uh, which is a nice little Easter egg. Uh, When I got Spotify, I went down a rabbit hole where I made a playlist with all of the official songs, uh, the songs playing in the background, and all the songs mentioned in the movie but never played. The list was massive and very eclectic. 
while the Garden State soundtrack introduced me to mostly indie music that was a cohesive and honestly iconic mix, this playlist this playlist introduced me to so many different songs. Another note on the soundtrack, uh, I remember at some point in the movie, Rob talks about the making of a compilation. This description was uh, a little much, but the basic structure he described, it really stuck with me. You start with a killer strong song, then you take it up a notch, and you don't want to go all in, so you need to slow it down before you bring it back up. I use that structure for making mixtapes and playlists to this day. So next up, I will watch the movie, I will take notes on what I see, and report back in a bit. I will be talking in detail about the movie, so spoilers ahead. Uh, the question I will be trying to answer was, this movie the best ever, or is it just a guilty pleasure? I will try to be as critical as, as possible. If you want to watch this movie now with me, now would be a good time to pause and then come back later. And I'm back. Uh, I have to say, this movie hit all the nostalgic points for me. It's almost as good as I remember. I wouldn't say it was the best ever, uh, like I thought it was back in the day, but it still holds up. Let's talk about it. First, the time period in which it was set. This movie came out in 2000, so the late 90s was the aesthetic. I saw big cell phones, lots of flannel, which makes sense being a movie heavily influenced by music, and grunge was huge in the 90s, and even payphones. Uh, at one point, characters mentioned liner notes, which I totally forgot about. Uh, I had a pretty decent CD collection, and a lot of artists took care to make good liner notes. I used to put the liner notes in with the CDs so I can read the lyrics and look at the pictures that they put in there. Uh, and I'm going to sound old, but kids these days don't really know anything about liner notes because most people don't buy physical musics these day, music these days. I know I don't. Also on the time period, at one point, Rob flips through a phone book to find someone. I don't know the last time I even saw a phone book. Uh, once cell phones took off, phone books became harder to use because it relied on landlines, which no one really has anymore. As far as characters go, they are mostly just as I remember. Uh, we'll talk about Robin a bit, uh, but Laura is the main reason for the story. Having broken up with Rob and started his spiral downwards. She goes through a lot in the movie and has flaws that are pretty relatable. Rob's two co-workers, Barry and Dick, played by Jack Black and Todd Luiso, respectively, are great counters to Job's, Rob's presence throughout the movie. Barry is obviously the overtop comedic presence, while Dick is the calming presence. They complement each other nicely, but as he does in just about every movie, Jack Black is clearly the more outspoken person. Speaking of characters, that is the main thing I noticed this time around. Rob is not really a great person. Person, I, I don't remember thinking that when I watched it when I was younger. He definitely is shallow. His relationship with Penny is the best example of that. He really only dated her because he wanted to have sex with her, and when they didn't, then that didn't happen, he broke up with her. During his what is all mean meetup with her, she reminds him of that, and his response is to be happy that it wasn't anything he did wrong because he broke up with her. 
extremely shallow behavior. He mentions Charlie being awful later. Perhaps it didn't work out between them because they were too alike. I noticed it this time around, but not when I originally saw it. Then there is the big three things that Laura told Liz. Uh, He slept with someone else while Laura was pregnant. He told her he was looking for someone else, and he borrowed $4,000 from her and didn't pay it back. He tried to explain away a lot of that later, but that sort of made it worse. With all that being said, Rob still represents people who aren't perfect and have flaws, uh, and sure those flaws are glaring, but he has other qualities that make him endearing. I guess I was just a little bit more willing to ignore them when I watched this movie before. Throughout the movie, Rob breaks the fourth wall. Uh, This is a fairly uncommon way to tell a story, and for good reason. In this movie, it's necessary. Having read the book, all the exposition goes through Rob. It would have been difficult to translate that into a visual medium without that storytelling technique. It's used pretty standardly throughout, with one interesting exception. Late in the movie, during one of his fourth wall breaks, he starts screaming, When is this all going to stop? Laura comes in the door and says, When is what going to stop? I want to believe that this was intentional, as it was seamlessly done. It seems as Laura is actually getting let into this specific part of Rob's life. Very cool. Another big theme throughout the movie is the power of nostalgia. Most of the dialogue is top fives, remembering things from the past. There were at least five or six mentioned in the movie. The main premise of the movie is based on the desert island all-time top five most memorable breakups in chronological order list. Rob even names his record label Top Five Records. Side note, uh, the end credits mention a f- that the film was produced by Top 5 Productions Incorporated. I couldn't find anything else beyond that, but I thought that was a little cool tidbit. Rob, at one point, decides to change his organization of his record collection to autobiographical. He would have had to remember what he was doing with his life, who he was with, etc. He mentions that if he wants to find Landslide by Fleetwood Mac... He would have to remember he bought it for someone in the fall of 1983, but didn't give it to them to them for personal reasons. I'm not sure that system would really be possible, but it speaks to the power of nostalgia. That scene, along with many other scenes from other movies that I'm going to watch, is why I decided to do this podcast. This movie, for me, is a fixture of my past. I feel something when I watch this movie. There's some comfort in that. Rob even says that to his record, doing that to his record collection is comforting. Who wouldn't do with a little comfort nowadays? I will say there is a flip side to the nostalgia. You can get too much in your head with it. Rob definitely does that. Laura tells him at one point that he doesn't change. He had ambitions but never realized them. He's too stuck to his past to move forward. This whole movie is about coming to terms with the past, learning from it, and moving on. And boy, does he move on. The ending of this movie is really satisfying. It does get wrapped up nicely with a nice little bow. The end scene is the scene that I mentioned earlier where he talks about how to make a good mixtape. He finds himself making a mixtape about himself and his influences for a reporter that he clearly likes. 
he surprisingly realizes his mistake, maybe a little character development there, and makes up for it by making a mixtape full of things that Laura likes. He's thinking of what would make her happy. For Rob, that's a perfect conclusion. Throughout the movie, he's thinking of himself. He's also a self-proclaimed music snob that considers himself an underappreciated scholar, so he shits on everyone else who knows lesser than him, as Lewis so eloquently says at one point. Rob even makes fun of Laura's taste in music directly by asking how she can like Art and Garfunkel and Marvin Gaye, likening that to supporting both Israel and Palestine, which talking about it now is wildly inappropriate. Back to the point. Uh, He finally decided to put himself aside and think about her. That's progress. That's also extremely thematic. Uh, A note on his relationship with Laura. I felt as I was watching and as I was watching and paying closer attention that it was a relationship that is pretty grounded in real life. Most relationships in romantic comedies are wholly unrealistic. They are based on superficial things. Sure, Rob is super shallow, but his relationship with Laura goes deeper. He describes why he likes her at a few points in the movie, and I think his love for her is explained really well through that. Uh, Let me explain. She didn't make me miserable or anxious or ill at ease. You know, it sounds boring, but it wasn't. It wasn't spectacular either. It was just good, but really good. Rob even gives a top five things he misses about Laura. He says a lot about this relationship in Thrill the Scene. One, sense of humor. Very dry, but also can be warm and forgiving. And she's got the best all-time laugh in the history of all-time laughs. She laughs with her entire body. I, I love this, this description here. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, he is talking, he's taking something seemingly mundane and turning it into something great. He goes on. Three, I miss her smell and the way she tastes. It's a mystery of human chemistry, and I don't understand it. Some people, as far as their senses are concerned, just feel like home. I love that, uh, and I feel that with my wife. It also doesn't have to be romantic. Uh, Every time I smell lavender, for instance, I'm instantly reminded of my grandma. She always had a lavender scent in their house. I'm transported back there when I smell it. Uh, Rob continues, five, she does this thing in bed when she can't get to sleep. She kind of half moans and rubs her feet together uh, an equal amount of times. It just kills me. Again, something so mundane and mediocre, but it's put on a pedestal. It may seem superficial, but all those things seem pretty intimate and specific between those two people. That whole scene is great. Overall, The movie was great as I watched it again. I can definitely see why I liked it so much. So before I go, a few quickfire things. There are a couple points in the movie where you can see a sticker among the other stickers uh, for a band called Nihilate. They are a band from Springfield, where I'm from, uh, Illinois, and I've seen them so many times when I was younger. It was amazing to see that in the movie, and I instantly recognized it this time around. Uh, And it also makes sense, because Springfield is the capital of Illinois, and the movie is set in Chicago. 
small point regarding what Lewis said earlier about the guys being under un- unappreciated scholars. There's a lot of specific knowledge being dropped throughout the movie, especially in the top five list. A lot of the bands and songs that they mention, I have never heard of. Even though I didn't know what they were talking about, I still enjoyed it a lot. There's something about watching people with a specific knowledge flex that. The opening scene, also, is amazing. It got me going as soon as it started. I love how the music starts really loud, and then it starts slowly moving into his headphones. It was a great touch. I also instantly identified with Rob in that moment, because he is clearly listening to music to cope with what was going on. And I know I do that often. I'm also jealous of his hi-fi setup, with the uh, wingback chair and the Budokan headphones. Next time, we'll be back with another movie from my past. Until then, watch more movies. This has been Best Ever or Guilty Pleasure, and I've been Jared. See you next time.